Amen. Good morning. Don't join me in uh, blessing my oldest on the drums. Today's his birthday today. <laughs> Happy birthday, buddy. You know, I was thinking he's getting old. He's been playing the drums for 32 years. You realize that? 32 years. He would have figured it out by now, right? Started playing the drums in our church that we attended when he was five years old. And not because they thought that would be cute. He was the best drummer in the house. Amen. God's just gifted him with that talent, and we thank God for it. Amen. Turn around and look at somebody. Tell them to welcome to Grace Point. Amen. So appreciate Pastor Martin preaching for us last weekend. Didn't he do a wonderful job? Amen. I actually saw him. Uh, I was in the line at Lowe's paying for, for my honeydew stuff, and he was pushing a dishwasher behind me that he had to go home and install. So we were both repairing things in our home yesterday, and uh, just so love and appreciate him, and thank God for that. We were ministering. I was uh, preaching up in Atlanta or out from Atlanta in Carrollton, Last weekend, just had a wonderful time uh, there with that church. Uh, Pastor Dale Carver, a guy that we go back and have known for many years. And so appreciate that opportunity to share with uh, his congregation. You know, he had invited a lot of other churches in, different uh, churches. And, of course, guess what I talked about up there? Grace. But the name of their church uh, is Grace Community Church. So I was going to make sure they weren't in false advertising. Amen. I have gone to churches that falsely advertise. I've gone into a lot of churches that have new in their name and they didn't want anything new. But uh, man, I was nervous before I took the pulpit because I realized as he had different groups, different churches, uh, uh, another church brought their praise team or, or uh, singers to come and to sing. And, and then they brought up another older uh, uh minister who was a retired assembly of god uh, minister and and man he he sung a song that i hadn't heard sung since i was a little boy and i'm thinking man you know these folks here are not going to like me coming with the grace and you know i watched those people i just carried a handful of my books i didn't i think we carried about eight or ten books and i and uh pastor just mentioned it those people thronged for those books those people were so receptive to the message of God's grace. And uh, so many of them were just taking their, their phones and taking pictures of the cover so they could go order it off of Amazon. Boy, I, I, I uh, greatly miss that leading there of the Lord. I, I just said, well, they probably won't want, you know, five would probably be plenty. I think I cared ten, and they took every one of them and was uh, aggravated that I didn't bring more. And, and that old minister... Uh, and I realize you're standing, so am I. That older minister, you know, and even my wife uh, was saying, man, the, you know, she was so nervous for me. Because she knew I'm going to go ahead and go with it anyway, irregardless. That guy followed me, walked arm in arm with me in his 80s out the door of the church and said, son, I have preached so many messages and I have heard so many messages. But tonight was one of the greatest messages he said I've ever heard. On the grace of God. Amen. And I don't say that to brag on me. What, what I'm telling you is that don't you be timid with the message of God's grace. Because there are people, regardless of their age or background, that are hungry to know of God's goodness, loving kindness, mercy, forgiveness. They, they want to know. And many of them, sadly, have never heard it. They've never heard it. And so I'm going to talk about... Uh, the title, Grace Changes Everything. How many knows grace changes everything? Um, now, now, what is the one thing that sets Christianity, our faith, apart from all the other religions of the world? It's not praying, because they all pray. It's not even study. It's not moral living. It's not even turning from sin. None of those things. But what makes Christianity totally different and unique is grace grace no other religion has that component 
Now we know here that grace is a what? A person. How many believe that Jesus Christ saved you? If you've been born again, who saved you? What's his name? Say it like you're proud of it. Jesus. All right, but the Bible says that you are saved by grace. Now you got to make up your mind. Did grace save you or did Jesus save you? I'm not trying to trick you. The answer to that is yes. Yes, Jesus saved me. Yes, grace saved me because Jesus is grace. See how easy that was? Grace is not a six-week teaching. Grace is not something you visit once in a year and then you move on to another subject. Grace is not a subject in the Bible. Grace is the subject of the Bible. It's so important that we're saved by grace through faith in that person, in what he accomplished, in what he done on the cross. Amen? Father, we love you. You are grace. And we're so thankful that we're loved by you. We pray today that we would see the power of grace that changes everything. In Jesus' name, if you agree with the prayer, say amen. amen. Shake somebody's hand one more time before you sit down. Give them a big smile. Tell them I'm so glad you're here today. The Bible says in Romans 5 and 6 for Paul wrote, when we are still without strength, that means without any ability on our own, in due time, Christ died for the who? Who did he die for? He died for the who? For the ungodly. Christ didn't die for the good. He didn't die for the great. He didn't die for people that was at the top of the ladder. He died for the weak. He died for the lost. He died for the needy. Can somebody say amen? amen. And Christ Jesus gave his life for those who didn't have any life. Now, you know, I'm not trying to get all splitting hairs with you, but, you know, a lot of times we say in the Christian faith, you say, well, I gave my life to the Lord. Well, you didn't have a life to give him. In other words, you didn't come to Jesus with life, and then you gave that life to the Lord. We know what you mean by that, I guess, but I just want you to know what you mean. I don't want you to be under the, the assumption that you had a life to give God because you came to God as a dead man. Paul called it that you were dead in trespasses and sin. Sin had destroyed us. It had killed us. And when God told Adam and Eve in the garden, the day you eat of the tree, you shall surely die, they surely did. And that death was handed down and imparted to each and every one of us, and we were born sinners. We were born dead. Amen. And Jesus turns and he said, I have come that they might have what? Life. They might have life. And, and that would be enough if that's all he said. But then he goes on to say and have it more abundantly. And so, uh, so Jesus died for those that are just honest enough to say, listen, I ain't got it together and I can't save myself. Help Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And so I just want to look. I don't know if we'll even get past. I got three points. I don't know if we'll get past the first one. But, but it, this is what I want to tell you. Grace changes the way we view uh, forgiveness. It, it changes. Now, listen, most of the church that you and I, if you were raised in church, and most of the church around today, uh, they see forgiveness, listen, they see forgiveness as something that God can do. But the Word of God teaches that forgiveness is something that God has done. And I'm telling you, that's a, that, that, maybe that doesn't sound very big deal to you. That is a huge, huge calibration of how you're going to live your life. I lived most of my Christian life, I, several decades I lived, of trying to, to maintain and obtain God's forgiveness. I tried to go ledger by ledger, line by line, and keep that record clear, and, and that is an arduous, tormenting, never-resting way to live your life. Grace is, uh, teaches us that forgiveness is something that is in the past. I can tell by the look of some of your faces, you're trying to figure that out already. I already got some of you stumped on that first thing. And I know a lot of you hear me say this a lot, and there's people sitting here today who never heard that before. And I can tell just by their expression on their face. And I know you think you have a verse. I don't have time to unpack 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. But, you know, you can't reach in and pull one verse out, try to make it say something it doesn't say. When you have verse after verse after verse that refers to forgiveness in terms of it's something that Jesus accomplished when he was on the cross, the finished work of Jesus. And so what is it that causes God to forgive of sin? Is it your crying? Is it your confessing? Is it your repenting? Which, 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 you know, you, those things don't cause God to forgive you. 
There's one thing the Bible says that causes God to forgive humanity of sin, and that's the shedding of blood. When's the last time Jesus shed his blood? And for all you that don't believe in future forgiveness of sin, then that means everybody in the building is lost. Because how many of your sins were future when Jesus died 2,000 years ago? I think they are all were future, right? So you better pray to God there's future forgiveness or we're all doomed here. And we're waiting on a second crucifixion. We're not waiting on a second crucifixion. We're waiting on a second coming, but not a second crucifixion. Amen? And so it's just like that man in the Bible. I won't take time. You know, everybody remembers that story because, you know, they tore the roof off to get the guy there. But when they lowered that paralyzed man into that home where Jesus was preaching, Jesus looked at that man, and I've told you this before, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, I told you they brought that man not for forgiveness. They brought that man to Jesus for what? To get him healed. To get him healed. To, 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 to have him healed. He's paralyzed. When, when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Understand? So they brought this man to Jesus. They brought him to Jesus. And the, first, and the man says nothing to Jesus. He doesn't open his mouth. And he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, why would Jesus do that? He, you don't think Jesus had enough sense to know he'd come for healing? But Jesus is trying to say to this man, now as soon as Jesus said that, all the religious people in the room got upset. And when people hear me say what I just said, the religious will get upset because they think they know something. All right? But you're not the Savior. <clears throat> Jesus is. And they say, well, who can forgive sins but God only? Well, if they had the eyes to see, God was standing there. Was Jesus God? Emmanuel means what? God in the flesh. God among, God with us. So Jesus, God was standing there, but they didn't have the eyes to see it. Religion had blinded them. He came unto his own, and his own did what? Receive him not. So Jesus says to the man, man, your sins are forgiven you. Well, he came for healing because that is the big obstruction to many people receiving what grace has provided. In other words, one of the things that grace has provided on the cross is healing for our bodies. You know, God still heals people. God's still a healing God. He's still Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our God, that heals us. You can still, you can still receive healing in your body. And, and, and so, so Jesus says that to him because many people are bound and paralyzed and, and, and unable to receive their healing because they think that their sin is an obstruction, that God's angry with them, that God's not going to heal them because they did X, Y, and Z or whatever. And so it, it's, a, it's a hindrance to them believing in the power of God's healing power, of his grace. See, grace has appeared to all men, but not all men have received what grace has provided. This is not universalism. God's grace has appeared to all men, but all men hadn't received the benefit of that grace. And God's forgiveness has been God. The Bible said he was the lamb that took away the sin of the world. And so you either have to decide, did he take it away or did he not? If he didn't take it all away, then he's got to come back and take the rest of it away. So either you have to decide when, when John pointed at him and said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And it's the sin of the world, not the sin of those that confess it. Not the sin of the church, not the sin of those who repent. Not the, it's the sin of the world. Okay? And over and over it says this is the precious blood that forgives not only our sin, but the sins of the entire world. This is why. And I know some of you may get sick of hearing it. I hope you don't. Romans 10 is the chapter on getting saved. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, thou shalt be saved. There's not the word sin in the whole chapter. The word sin does not appear in the chapter. Why do you think that is? And then in Acts 16, when the Philippian jailer is going to commit suicide because he thinks the prisoners have escaped, which includes Paul and Silas, Paul says, don't do yourself any harm, we're still here. And so he sees the power of God manifested in that, and he says, what must I do to be saved? Paul does not say, bow your head, close your eyes, say the sinner's prayer, because there's no sinner's prayer in the Bible. But there is in churches. Hello, good morning, we're glad you're here. Hallelujah. There's no sinner's prayer in the scripture. Nobody gets saved in the Bible, in the New Testament, like we get them saved. Apparently, Paul didn't know how to get people saved. You are not saved by confessing sin. You are saved by believing upon the Lord Jesus and then confessing that you're now righteous. 
Romans 10 says, with the mouth, confession is made unto righteousness. It's important that you say that out of your mouth, that you confess that every day of your life. And when you sin, what do you confess? Not your sin, but your righteousness. You're still righteous because your righteousness was a gift. It was not something you achieved. It was something you received. Y'all just let me know when I say anything is good. And so Paul doesn't mention the word sin when a man who is a sinner asked to be saved. Paul says, this is how you get saved, dude. Believe upon. Not in that he exists, but believe upon. Put your faith upon. Put your sin upon. In other words, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Let me tell you how powerful he said, not only you'll be saved, but your whole household. You ain't no way a saved person can live in a house with a bunch of sinners and the saved person lose out. You ain't even got to say nothing. Just be in there with them. And stop trying to scare them into heaven. Just, just, just love Jesus, live for Jesus, and, and, and what's in you will change what's in them. Come on, somebody. So grace changes everything. It changes how we uh, uh, see and deal with forgiveness. And so Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. I'm going to read a little more verses than we normally do. Because now this, this sometimes, some of this just kind of makes people a little bit confused. Now Paul's writing and he tells people in verse 22, he says, put off concerning your former what? Conduct. So we're talking about people's conduct, how they conduct themselves. Are you with me? Now Paul says, put off the former conduct, the, your old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. So everybody say old man. Now that ain't your daddy. Okay, the old man is the old you. Now, I don't have time to go through all the Romans 6. All through the New Testament, Paul over and repeatedly told them that you died. Now, let me tell you what all Christians know. All Christians know that Jesus died on the cross for them. I mean, you can't be a Christian without knowing that. Jesus died for you on the cross. If you believe that, say amen. Now, let me tell you what most Christians don't know that you died on the cross with Jesus. Now, a lot of you have been taught because your Bible can actually be confusing you. And the problem can be you're reading your Bible and it's causing you confusion because you're reading the Bible. Bet you didn't think you'd hear that today at church. <clears throat> and what I mean by that, see, it's so great to have a prophet in the church. <laughs> Because he probably, none of y'all pick up on that. But I was like, where is, I need a drink of water. Uh, but uh, thank you, Crawford. Uh, and I don't mean to go home and throw the Bible away. I, I have it, I use it. But particularly the New International Version use, uses the term sin nature, which is not in the Bible. You see, in that translation, but it's not in the Bible. They're translating a Greek word, sarx, S-A-R-X, which means flesh. And they're translating it, the translators of the New International Version translated that sin nature. Because one of them translators believed in that because he probably went to a church where they told him he had one. Okay? Now let me tell you what you don't have when you get born again. You don't have a sin nature anymore. You can have a sin habit. You can have a sin habit in your flesh. But you don't, have a, you don't have a sin nature. The Bible clearly teaches that Paul said you are now become partakers of his divine nature. So listen to me. You don't, have, you don't have a devil and an angel inside shooting one another going to war every day. It's not like that. You don't have two conflicting things going on on the inside of you. Jesus would never place you in such a precarious situation where you're doomed to fail. What happened is when you got born again, you got born again. You didn't get the old you with a paint job and some new set of tires. You got a new creation, new creature, okay? And so you're not warring. It's not an internal war. Your internal, your spirit got born again. Now, in your flesh, you can still have a bad habit. That's where the struggle comes in sometimes. And so... But when you learn to live true to who you are now, 
then you'll, you, you'll, you'll and I'm going to show you how, what the Bible says, how you overcome a, conduct problems. Now, so I'll just get it clear. Most Christians don't know that you died on the cross. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, in verse 6, we were crucified. You were crucified with Christ. Jesus died for you, but Jesus died as you. you the old man is dead. Don't, don't talk out of the old man because you're talking out of the deadness. Don't talk like that. And don't live your life and conduct yourself like that. And don't go around and acting like that you're not born again. Hypocrites in the church are not, not what you think they are. Hypocrites are Christians that have been born again and yet still call themselves sinners saved by grace and won't live true to what Jesus did for them on the inside. That's a hypocrite right there. And so, when the, listen, when the Bible is admonishing us, be ye holy, be, be perfect even as I'm perfect, and all those things, he's not telling you to do in order to become. You don't do to order to become. You don't do holy or act holy in order to become holy. I can get in the garage and go, udden, udden, that don't make me a car. <laughs> See, I come up, all this brilliant stuff just f f comes out. So are we really righteous? Are we really holy? Did that really happen? Sure it did. He says, now listen, put off that old man conduct. That's not who you are anymore. Don't, don't live like that. So you don't have an old man. That old man was crucified, but you have to believe that he is. All right, now listen, put off the former conduct in verse 23. Now listen, I love this. And be renewed in the spirit of your what? So you've got to believe right. Right believing equals right living. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the what? New man. Now notice this, which will be one day. Oh, is that one? Yeah, which was created, new creation, according to God. You know that you were made according to God? When did you get made according to God? I don't mean that in his image and likeness deal in the garden. No, no. I'm talking about you are pound for pound, molecule for molecule. You are just like God in your spirit. You're not going to be a better person when you get to heaven. You're not going to be holier. You're not going to be more saved. You're not going to be more righteous. <laughs> you got born again. Did you put on the new man which was created? When did that happen? When you got born again. Was created according to God in true, listen, true righteousness. Everybody say true righteousness. Not just fake righteousness stuff that you see in religion. But true righteousness and holiness. Holiness. So now are we really holy or not? See how quiet it gets when I even bring up the subject? Are we holy or not? Where did our holiness come from? From God. It was gifted to you. You received it. You have not achieved it. All right. Anybody know what an oak sapling is? Tell them, Ivory, what's an oak sapling? It's a little small oak tree. All right. Did that oak tree, let's say it's small, let's say it's this high. It's an oak tree, right? Can y'all see it? <laughs> now, how does it, it, does it try to be an oak tree or is it just born an oak tree? Can, can that sapling do anything to be oakier? <laughs> no. An oak tree is an oak tree is an oak tree. Because it was born out of that seed, an oak tree. So it don't have to try to be an oak tree. It is an oak tree. Listen, but one thing it's going to do, it's going to mature. And, and the longer it matures, the more of, of, of it being an oak tree will it display. That's the way it is with you. When you got born again, you were gifted holiness. And you are holy, holy, 
holy. And you're not going to get holier. Can that oak tree get oakier? No. An oak tree is an oak tree. That's the way it is. When a baby's born, they are a human being, right? This is not hard, y'all. They're human. They, and so they don't become more human at 10. And I know you think they lose their humanity when they become teenagers, but they don't. They are still human, but they are growing and they are maturing. So you, as a holy, born-again, righteous child of God, you are in a process called maturing. And the longer you grow in the wisdom and the knowledge and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the more of that holiness and righteousness will you display. But you on the inside will not, you're not going to get holier. You are holy because it was God's holiness that was gifted to you. Does this make sense? And so you, you, you've got to know that and, you, and it, you, will, you will conduct yourself differently. You will live differently. So he says this. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now what does that look like? Therefore putting away lying. Don't lie. Not because all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Revelation fans. Now why is that verse in there? Because there'll be no liars in heaven, but there'll be a bunch of people who lied that goes to heaven. Now don't look at me like you ain't never. You told a lie today probably. You probably lied since you've been on this campus. Somebody said, how you doing? You said, fine. You lie. You ain't fine. You broke, bent, and disgusted. <laughs> Whatever. I'm like, I'm like, oh, you look so pretty today. Get in the car, leave here. I'm like, can you believe what she had on? <laughs> That's lying, y'all. I'm not saying, I'm, I'm saying what Paul said, put away lying. Well, why does it say that all liars shall have their part? Nobody's going to go to hell because they lied. It's just that when they choose not to believe in Christ Jesus as their Savior, they're still what they were before. They're a liar. Big difference. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. That's hard to do for some people. It's hard to do for this one sometimes. Because you never have a greater opportunity to sin than when you're angry. Do you not get angry? I do for stupid reasons sometimes. I've told you over and over. Y'all know my weakness. I could be a great Christian if it wasn't for driving. <laughs> Everybody else don't drive right. I'm the best driver, in my opinion. I know better than that. But stuff, just stupid stuff makes you angry. You get angry at your spouse. You get angry at your kids. You know, and, and, and when you get angry, you have to watch this right here. Now, Paul says, be angry. He said, the anger is not the problem. It's be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Not God's, your wrath. Now, where it says, nor give place to the who? They're still the devil. Now, what does that mean to give place to the devil? If you look up the, the Greek word there that they translate in English, place, it means it's the Greek word for scabbard. Only ivory knows this stuff. Anybody know what a scabbard is? Come on, guys, what's a scabbard? It's where you something you put a sword into or a knife into. It's something built to hold that weapon. That's a scabbard. Look at there, you learned something. God says that if you are angry and you let the sun go down on your wrath, you're actually creating a place perfectly built for the devil to occupy. Now, you ever seen people get angry? And, and, and sin, and it causes all kinds of problems in the family, in that situation, relations. I mean, just Paul is just warning us about that. This has not got nothing to do with going to heaven. It's just relational. He says, be angry, don't sin, don't give the devil a place. Verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Man, don't you love to give stuff to people? I mean, it happens to me. I don't know, there's some, I have some gas station anointing. <laughs> My wife will tell you that. She thinks I have a gas station anointing. 
And, and I mean, in the past uh, three, three weeks, I've had two people walk up to me and ask for help to put gas in their car. And, and, and just, just two weeks ago, I was out here filling up. And I'm talking about these big stations. It's, you know, they got five, six, seven lanes. And people everywhere, why are you coming to me? I'm just in a Ford pickup, man. I might pull up in there and, you know, something else. I mean, and, and this guy came up and he said, he said, he said, sir, excuse me, would you happen to have just a few dollars? He said, I'm going to get paid next week. And, and, and I, I, I just... <laughs> you know, I just ain't made it, and I just need a few dollars. And uh, man, my heart went out to the guy. And 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 I reached in and 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 I said, man, I, I hadn't got but four dollars on me. I had four ones. And I said, I give you what I got. And I handed him that, and he turned and started into the station. I said, sir, wait a minute, come back, because I felt that. I just I said, wait a minute, and he looked at me like, oh man, you're gonna take away my four dollars. <laughs> I mean, he had to. And, and, and I said, come here, come here. I said, hand me that back. And he was, <laughs> he was handing it back. And I said, I said, come on, uh, uh, come on. I said, I got, I said, I ain't got much cash, but I'll tell you what I do got. I got a credit card. And I said, I'm finna fill you up. $32 took to fill up his little car. And, and, uh, and so I did that. I, I just put the card in. He's pumping his own stuff. I ain't finna stand over and police him or nothing. And I, and I went on in to the uh, station, get a bottle of water or something like that. And I came back out, and, and, and he, he was pulling out, and he, and he uh, pulled over there to me. And he said, and this, his eyes were just tears. He said, you know, thank you so much. And, and I said, well, man, you know, you from, you from Val Austin? He said, well, I'm really from Fort Myers, I think he said. And, but he said, I've been here about four years. And uh, he said, it's been tough. And, and then I thought, well, you know, a lot of times I don't ever even mention things. I said, well, man, listen, I, I'm a pastor here in town. Man, we'd love to have you come be with us. And I told him where we, where we were located and, and invited him to church. See, that came after I helped, not, not trying to bribe, you know. And then a couple of days later, I went back to the same station. And uh, it's back when that hurricane, Dorian or whatever, looked like was going to, you know, Sister Jill gets real nervous about them things a lot more than I do, <laughs> but and that's okay. But she wants when she sees one coming, she wants you know she wants provision. She wants me to have every LP uh, propane tank full. And okay, baby. <laughs> so I carry the two tanks down there. Just, you know what do you have? To, they got to unlock it though for you. And they swap your tanks out. And the guy had to leave the register unattended and run out to the front of the store and put the tanks and swap me the new tanks. And, uh, and I said, I'm going to put them in the truck and I'll come back in and pay you. And anyway, I went back in and I could just tell the guy was just stressed out and just, but you know, he didn't huff and he didn't puff and he didn't blow and he didn't go, you know, and all that stuff that you get. He just done his job. And, and so I paid him with cash and he handed me back like, it was ten dollars and some change, about forty bucks for them two little. <laughs> and I and, and 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 I just handed the ten back to him. And he said, he said he just looked like he was just startled. I said, that's for you, man. And he, and he just <laughs> he said, what's that? Why would you do that? And I said, you were just kind, man. You were just kind to me, and you helped me do that, and and you just had a great attitude. And I just want to tell you, I appreciate you. That guy took his, you know, put his hand up to his mouth like, oh, man. He said, man, nothing like this never happened to him before. Over 10 bucks. What, what does that matter? I don't know what it matters. But it, 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 that's who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be the most benevolent, kind, loving, giving people on the planet. And, and. And I didn't tell the guy I'm a preacher and I didn't invite him to church and I didn't, I didn't tell him I'm a Christian. None of that. I just wanted to, I, I just felt that compassion come up in my heart for that guy. He's not a bum. He's not some low hourly wage bum behind a counter at a jiffy store, man. He's a, one of God's kids. And, and, you know, and I just wanted to bless him. 
I love that. I, I don't tell you everything I do, but just in the last few weeks, and, and, and you know, the other day, because a lot of times, you know, my wife, like a lot of you, she keeps the checkbook, you know. If I want a check, she tears me one out, you know, like I have permission. for. Like, here's, my wife gave me this. Can I use this here today? I, don't, I know I look like I'm just stole it because I don't have the rest of the book, but she's got it, I promise. And I'm going to write on this and give you this in lieu of money. Uh, but, you know, so I'll text her or call her and say, you know, I just fueled up, you know, my truck, you know, $70, whatever, because it's coming out of our account, and I just want to keep up with it, you know. And uh, one of my kids the other day, my youngest son, he was like, y'all keep up with a ledger in your checkbook? He said, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. <laughs> now, we write stuff down, son. That's why we don't bounce stuff around. <laughs> he said, all you got to do is go online. <laughs> Well, I do that too once in a while. It's just a lot easier to look in the checkbook and see what I got, you know. Add and subtract and math, you know what I'm saying? But just, just if we just open our hearts, open our eyes, you're going to see people that God's wanting you to bless. You know, he says here, he said, verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. It's going to get really quiet right here. This is still grace, y'all. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. What does edification mean? Build them up. That it may impart what? Grace to hearers. All right, so God is just saying, when you say something out of your mouth, don't let it, if it don't build up somebody, don't say it. Now, don't even act like we do that every day of our lives. If we would listen to ourselves, sometimes, you know, I, I told my wife other day, if, if you just took your phone on and recorded that person talking, I don't mean to blackmail them, but just, I just don't think they hear what they say. And then if you turn around and just hit play on your phone and say, listen to what you just said. That, was, that, that didn't build up nobody. That didn't build up the person that you're talking about. It actually tore them down. It sowed seeds of doubt and all kind of stuff. Just don't let any corrupt communication come out of your mouth. But just, just pass through that filter. Is this going to build up or is this going to tear down? Is this all right? Because <laughs> this is what he says in verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. First thing I want you to know that you can grieve God. Listen, what you do, your conduct, either calls causes God pleasure or pain. Don't grieve the Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, he's saying that you're sealed, so you're not going to lose your salvation. Just don't grieve me. And this is how, what he said. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, Forgiving one another, just as God in Christ, past tense, forgave you. Now, God said that you should forgive because you have been forgiven. Now, let me tell you, sin damages people. And preachers like me that preach the message of grace, we are always placed in a position to have to defend the grace message. Well, that just causes people to sin. That causes people to be lazy. That causes people not to live righteously. It does none of that. Grace teaches you to say no to, to ungodliness. And so sin damages people. It fractures friendships. It destroys families. And, 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 and so sin grieves God. But you, listen, listen to me. This is so important. But you need to understand why God is grieved. He is not grieved because you have disappointed him. Now, and a lot of you live right there. You think that your conduct, your life, that you are so disappointing to God. Just because you've been, people's told you they're disappointed in you, God never will be. But listen to me. You, you can't disappoint a God who knows everything you've ever done or will do. So you, it's impossible to disappoint him. He already knows. And he knew it before you breathed your first breath. God has never been surprised, and God never turned around and get a sandwich and turned back around and go, my God, I didn't know they was going to act like that. Never saw that one coming. 
And, and, and so he is not grieved because you broke one of his rules. You're much more than a rule keeper to God. So look at all the sins that I just read that Paul mentions. They are all relationship type, relational sin. In other words, they are all sins that I call just don't be a jerk. Just don't be a jerk sins. Don't treat people, don't lie, don't be unforgiving, don't be angry, and don't be tenderhearted, be kind. God doesn't turn a blinded eye to our sin. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17. This is what God does. It says, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember how often. You ever heard when you stand before God, they're going to play the video of you doing all that secret stuff and secret sins for the world to see? That's a big fat lie. You ever heard that the Holy Spirit is convicting you and reminding you of your sin? That is also a lie. Is the Holy Spirit God? Have you read Acts chapter 5? It says when Paul, they lied to the Holy Spirit, they lied to God. Is the Holy Spirit God? Okay, so if God is not going to remember your sins or your lawless deeds no more, then the Holy Spirit's not convicting you of them. So stop saying that. He is there to convince you of your righteousness now as a born-again believer. He convicts the world of sin because they don't know God. That's what Jesus said. And so if you don't understand grace, listen, you're going to see the Holy Spirit like the sheriff of heaven. You're going to recording all your sins and convicting you when you're guilty. And, and you'll see the Holy Spirit more as a policeman or a prosecutor than you will ever see him as a counselor and a comforter. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of grace. He's not the spirit of guilt. Y'all just let me know if I say something good. Now listen, when you sin, notice I didn't say if you sin. When you sin, what will the Holy Spirit always do? Listen, he will always, when you sin, point you to Jesus because Jesus is the antidote to the sin problem, even for believers. He is the answer. So what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, they're going to put it up for you, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now this is Paul, and he's going to tell you something awesome here how to do this. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, now listen to what he says, let us lay aside how many weights? every weight, and the sin which so easily ensnares us. So sin is like a weight to you. It slows you down. It hinders your progress. It causes you to miss the mark that what God has for you. And it says, so lay aside the, the weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. All right, now listen, how we do that? How are we going to do what he just told us? By verse 2. He tells you right here how to do what he told you in verse 1. Verse 1 says, lay aside the weight and the sin. Don't do it. How, how preacher? Verse 2, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Now listen to me. That is the, that's the answer. And, and, and surprising as this is, most of the church misses that. What the church does is when they sin, the Holy Spirit's going to point you to Jesus. And, and, and you, when you behold Jim, when you look at Jesus, you'll become like Jesus. In other words, your conduct will change. You already like him in your spirit, but I'm talking about that, what did you, your conduct. What we're talking about, conduct. And, and so when you behold the kindness of Jesus, what do you do? You become kind. Tender hearted. When, 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 that's what he just told us. He said, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. So when you behold that he's forgiven you, then you want to forgive others because he's forgiven you. So you just, you, you, when you behold his beauty, you become beautiful. Do you see what I'm saying? So when you when you you looking unto Jesus, but what do we do? I told you, when the, the, the church is so sin conscious, if you're trying to overcome sin, you look to, did God send the wrong prescription? I mean, Jesus was the antidote. He was the answer. Jesus became sin so that we would become the righteous of God. And so when you focus on Jesus, so when you sin, what do you do? You confess, not your sin. You can talk to him about it, but don't waller in it. That's not the issue. You confess, I'm righteous. I am the righteousness of God. Now, you're not displaying all of that. But you, you, you are confessing the truth of what God did in you when you were born again.
He gifted you with true righteousness, we just read it, and holiness. And then you start living out of that. And I've told you this over and over. When we look at Jesus, we're transformed. Do you understand that the Bible, Paul said it like this in Corinthians. He said that, he said that you behold him, his face, as in a mirror. And listen to me. And, and, and as you do that, as you do that, he said, then you are transformed from glory to glory. Do you, do you understand that? It's not, you're not transformed from garbage to glory. In other words, your starting point is glory. Your starting point is holiness. You don't, you're not trying to act holy in order to become holy. You are, have been gifted with holiness. Therefore, you are already holy. In your spirit, you're as holy as it's going to be. In your flesh, you're not manifesting near what God done for you on the inside. But you're, you're, you're growing. You are maturing. You might be a little oak sapling oak, but you're going to become a mighty oak one day and provide shade and lodging for a lot of people. But you're growing, and it doesn't happen overnight. It's not one giant step of faith. It's just, it's just growing and maturing, and the Bible says, in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how peace is multiplied to you. Do you understand that? And, and so when I was a young boy, my granddaddy was a wholeness Baptist preacher. That's what his title was. And he was in a denomination that still is around today. And I don't mean this despairingly of those people. Holiness Baptist denomination. Whew, boy, they got some rules now. <laughs> Women can't wear no britches. Can't have no TV in your house. Can't go to the movies. That's how I was raised till I was 12. Everything was a sin. If it was fun, it's a sin. Don't even think about it. <laughs> I started playing Little League Baseball. And I watched a holiness Baptist preacher set my dad on his front porch and, and tell him how wrong it was for us to be involved in worldly entertainment. My daddy's daddy, because he was a holiness Baptist preacher, never attended one of my daddy's football games when he played high school football and never attended one of his basketball games. And when they would have father-son and the dads walked their boys on the field, he was never there. But he wanted to be. But he felt like if he went there and the church found out that he was there at that worldly event, that he would be, you know, ostracized. Never had a TV in his house until we hauled one over there. <laughs> one Christmas, I thought I was rich. My dad bought me a, a TV about that big, you know, it's one of them, about that thick black and white TV. And I had a TV in my room. You didn't get like two channels because you're just working off rabbit ears, but hey. We were living high, you know what I'm saying? And my granddaddy had a stroke, and my dad thought that might help him a little bit, so he took my TV away from me. <laughs> I love my granddaddy, so it didn't matter. My granddaddy would sit there and watch wrestling. He found, he came across wrestling. I'm talking about, the, you know, the real wrestling. <laughs> With Gordon Soley and all, before it got all crazy like it is. And my granddaddy, he was all into that. He'd be, he'd be watching them and just... I'm thinking all the years, man, you could have had a TV. You could, be, you could have had a little bit of enjoyment in your life because of all these religious rules. Look at him. All these rules. And I had so much of that indoctrinated into me, and they wrestle with it. I've had people that was raised like that here recently that I've talked to. They didn't come to church here. I talked to a man, and his parents are like that to the day. And yet he can't live it. Nobody can, by the way. And he's miserable, and he's even suicidal but yet he still believes that they're right because he thinks I'm just like a get-out-of-jail-free card dude or something. Well, it is get-out-of-jail-free because Jesus freely paid it all. He freely forgave us, and he freely gave us life. And, and, and what we got to do is we have to stop charging for what is free and start, stop putting requirements on salvation and the gift of righteousness and the gift of holiness that is not in the Bible. It is much harder to unlearn religion. What I want is them grandbabies you saw standing by me on the front row today, they will never have the problem that I've had. They will not waste decades trying to please God, trying to become holy, trying to become righteous. 
they won't do any of that. When I was an emergency medical service chief, it was always easier. I had much rather hire a new graduate paramedic right out of school and then train him the way we did it in Tiff County than hire a guy that had 10 years' experience from another county that I hired and he just come to work for me. Because invariably, every one of them guys, I'm like, well, that ain't how we did it and blah, blah, whatever. But we finally, I just told my shift captain, just say, well, I don't know if you know, buddy, but this ain't blah, blah county. This is Tiff County. This is how we roll here, and you're going to do it like we do it. But you always had trouble. I remember I hired a guy from another town, and the first day he brought his own jump kit, his own kit. Took my kid out to Amherst, going to put his kid in there. I'm like, bro, bro, this ain't have your way. This ain't, you know, this, this, ain't, this ain't McDonald's or Whopper, Big Mac. This ain't have it your way. We're going to do it our way. So what you get in the church, you get people that come from religion. But well, that ain't what we, that ain't what, I, I know it ain't. That's why I wrote a book about it. Because those are myths that we've been told. God's not angry. And yet people, preachers are still portraying God as angry. Was God angry? Yes, he was. In the Old Testament, he said he was. In Isaiah 54, he said, I was angry with you, but for a moment. Just a moment. What was that moment when, when the law was there? But Christ, Romans says, is the end of the law to them that believe he fulfilled it and kept it and gifted you the credit for it. That's what Jesus did. And when you know this and you live like this, it will free you of all the snares and the bondages of religion. I want you to say this out of your mouth. I want you to stand to your feet. And I want you to say this with me, okay? Just, just, just pacify me this. I want you to say it loud enough that at least your own ears can hear it. Now, I ain't playing. Just say it, though. Say, I am holy. I'm just as holy as God in my spirit. Now, now, listen to me. When's the last time you said that phrase out of your mouth? Or have you ever said those words, I am holy? Probably many of you have never uttered those words, I am holy. And you surely will not have said, I'm as holy as God. Let me tell you what First John chapter 4, forget what verse it is. 17, I think, anyway, it's in there. But it says, as he is, so are we in this world. And the he there is Jesus. As Christ is right now, so are we, and in case there was confusion, in this world. Are you in this world? Have you been placed in Christ by being born again? Then you're just like Jesus. And God put you in Christ so he could treat you like Christ. So that we have all the benefits of Christ. And Paul says you are now one spirit with the Lord. One spirit. That would have to mean your spirit is holy, righteous, perfect, complete. The Bible says that we are complete in him. Is that what it says? So stop crying out for more. If you want to cry out for more, just say, Lord, help me to manifest more. But don't ask for more because you've been given the fullness of God in Christ Jesus. There is no more for God to give. He's given you his best. He's given you his best as his son Jesus. And you just don't understand. Religion always starts with the outside and tries to work their way in. God starts with the inside and works his way to the out. We're not saying conduct don't matter. We're not saying that sin's not a big deal. We're not saying this live any old kind of squirrely way, whatever. Because God, it grieves God. The reason God is grieved when we sin is because it hurts the people that he loves. Man, when my kids, if my kids, even my grandbabies, they hurt one another or they hit one another or they hurt one another, I mean, that, that grieves me. It hurts me. Even just, just a couple of days, a week ago, well, a week ago, little Eddie, she pushed her, her brother in the, in the swimming pool there. And, and first thing that he, he turned to see, you know, anyway, first thing to hit was his chin on that concrete. Man, it laid it open, buddy. He couldn't even get out the pool before blood was running down the, his chest. Now, she didn't mean to do that. But I said, you, you know, don't, don't push people in the pool. I remember I was at a little birthday thing one time years ago in Cecil, and a kid did that. And uh, I reckon that was a paramedic come out. But that kid couldn't swim, and the other kid pushed him in the pool. You know, I dove in with everything. 
wallet and all full clothes, you know, just don't hurt people. When my, when my children, you know, are mad with one, it grieves me. But let me tell you what it doesn't do. It doesn't change my love for them. It doesn't change my forgiveness. But you understand, God, when, when he's grieved, it doesn't mean he's mad at you. You're, you're causing him pain because he loves you that much. When he sees relational problems and families fighting and warring with one another and, and all that, it, it, it brings pain to, the, to God because we got a God that can be touched, that can feel. He really does. He's your father. He really loves his kids. So he wants you to be forgiven of one another, tenderhearted, kind, forbearing. He wants you to be like that. He don't want you to, when you get angry, and you'll get angry, but he just says, don't let the sun go down. That's not some big rule. He said, just, just, just don't, let it, don't let it just go on and on. Don't stay angry because you're hurting yourself. Don't let the sun go down. Don't give the devil a place. Now, some of y'all are steady getting counsel for mosquito bites, and you're sleeping with the window open with no screen. <laughs> now, that, I see you're trying to figure out what I just said. If you sleep with the windows open, just last week my air conditioner went out at my home. The people that I bought the home from took away all the screens. I found them up in the attic. They're not in a condition I could put them back on. We wanted to open the windows to try to get at least some airflow while we waited two days for our air to be repaired. They repaired it by putting a $7,600 unit in redoing it see even preachers air conditioners will go out it was 14 years old so I had the windows up for a bit I'm like I don't care if I got screen or not I gotta have some hair mosquitoes started saying whoa look at that house they ain't got no screen here they come after a couple of bites I'm going I'd rather be hot than be food for them and close the window now, I'm really not talking about mosquitoes. But if you're being angry and you're violating these things, not because God, but in other words, the, the, the cure is not to go for counseling for mosquito bites. The cure is to close the window. But some of us spend years for things that we're causing. Trying to, I don't understand, you know, I don't understand I don't understand this right here. Well, it's easy to explain. And, 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 and you're still a Christian and God still loves you, but you're causing pain in your life. And God don't want you to be hurt. That's what I'm saying. So what does what closing the window? Forgive those that have hurt you. Why? Because I'm just beholding Christ, looking unto Jesus, and he forgave me, and I should do what he's done, and he's my example. So I forgive. <laughs> and and, and, and you, you just do what he done. And where do we get the power to do that? From the Holy Spirit. How do we do it? Looking unto Jesus. So when you have problems, don't look at your problem. Don't try to break your habit of eating sweets by staring at chocolate cake. That's what the church does. Try to overcome this sin by staring at sin. Don't you understand that the Bible said, Paul said that the law inflames sin in us. The do not touch. He said, I would have never even known covetousness had the law said not to covet. In other words, the law that says do not covet made Paul want to covet. That's what the law is supposed to do. It's designed to make sin exceedingly sinful. So if you want to overcome that sin, don't make that your, your, your focus. Make Jesus your focus because he's already overcome that sin on your behalf. Am I making any sense? Man, life's too short to live in bondage, addiction. We have to look to Jesus. God didn't make a mistake when he sent him. He's the answer. Any question you got, he's the answer. Amen? Now I want the elders to come and our community group leaders that are here to come forward like we do every Sunday, give you an opportunity for prayer if you desire it. Man, I pray that if you're here and you're not a believer in Christ Jesus or if you're listening to this and you're not a believer, I pray that you'd believe upon him and be saved. And I pray you'd believe it to the point that you could confess with your mouth, I'm righteous, and it was gifted to me. I didn't achieve it. I received it. And every time you do sin and make a mistake, the righteous man falls how many times? How many times? But he, what does he do? He gets back up. 
Only righteous people, when they sin and fall, will get back up because they know it's not about their conduct, it's about his righteousness, and it was gifted. So they will get back up. They may fall, they may sin, they may blow it big time and publicly. But I promise you this, if they know they're righteous and they believe this message, they will get back up again. And they'll put one foot in front of another. Yes, they will. And they will walk in faith towards that one they're looking at, and that's Jesus Christ. And looking unto him, he's the author, and he's the finisher. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He's the alpha and the omega. He is all of it. And if you look to him, and you make him your focus, and don't waller in your sin, and don't waller in your mistake, and I'm not telling you it's not a big deal. It's such a big deal that God sent his son. But you focus on him. And I promise you that sin has no power to bring you into bondage anymore. Amen. Man, that's some good news. That's some good news. Come on, give the Lord praise. Love you guys. God bless you. Amen. Father, I thank you that you are grace. And I thank you that holiness and righteousness and perfection and all these things that are your attributes have been gifted to us when we were born again. We're not manifesting the fullness of it. No, no, we're not. But in our spirit, we're just like you because you made us that way. And I pray that we would live true to what you made us, that we would live holy because, not to become, but because you made us. And we would live out of that revelation and that that born-again new creation that you caused us to become. Thank you for that, David. Father, I love you. I give you praise for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you want prayer, please come. Grace Point, God bless you. We love you. We're waiting on you up here. If you want prayer for any reason, please come up. We'll meet you up front.